Recently, I did a deep dive Amazon keyword research project. Naturally, I reached for my trusty Amazon keyword research tool, Magnet. Magnet is just one of 20 tools in Helium 10, an all-in-one software toolkit to help sellers start, build, and grow a business on Amazon. Helium 10 has served over a million users worldwide and tracks over 2 billion products on Amazon. You get all the main tools you need to run the keyword research and listing in one place, so you don't have to pay for different software. Magnet in particular is a great tool for finding great keywords to target for your next product. So whether you're just getting started or you're several years into selling on Amazon, Helium 10 is a must-have tool for your business. You'll get 50% off your first month of Helium 10 Platinum when you go to helium10.com and use the code AMAZINGFBA when you check out. Once again, just go to helium10.com and use the code AMAZINGFBA for 50% off your first month. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls of the internet, welcome to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers who are rapidly becoming e-commerce sellers, not just Amazon sellers because it's getting hot in the water out there. So today we are talking to Yoni Kuzminski. We are talking about how to work on, not in your business or rather transition to working on, I guess. And what strategy means and actually having a plan. And there's a particular tool, the business model canvas. So Yoni, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, like I said before, and I'll say it again. It's a it's a pleasure being here, mate. And I'm going to throw in the mate there. Just yeah, to, that to feels a bit more. Yeah, that feels a bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, we we're just talk- chatting before um, we kicked off the podcast recording about how Americanized we become, which is fine. I mean, like internet marketing is kind of an American invention, but you got to own where you come from. So just remind us where you're coming from, Yoni. Where there's a bit of an Australian twang there. There's the mate. So I'm getting a, a feeling that you're Australian. Is is that right, or is that? Mate, I am exactly that. I am a part of the Commonwealth originally from Australia and moved over, actually spent some time in the US before now four years on. I'm coming to you live from Tel Aviv, Israel. Excellent. So I've got here my little sort of one liner about you is that you're the founder of Multiply Me and Iscala, which enables e-commerce business owners to work on their business, not in it, by making it more professional. So yeah, tell me a bit about that sort of mission. What, what is it you guys do? Yeah, so, so our mission is pretty simple. There's a lot of incredible entrepreneurs and Amazon and e-commerce business owners coming up into the world very, very quickly, learning things, you know, as, as quickly as the rate changes in this space. And our sole purpose is how do we help you achieve and unlock more by finding either professional talent out of the Philippines and helping with that lower cost of living work arbitrage in the Philippines or from our consulting solutions, how do we help build better systems to enable you, like you said, Michael, to work on your business rather than in it. The multiply me bit is where you can hire people in from the Philippines. Is that right? And, yeah, um, okay. absolutely. And Escala is the consulting side. Yeah, so, so multiply me as a baseline end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines. So it's a, effectively a done for you, helping you understand the right roles, the right responsibilities, the right job description, who you actually need for your business. And then we'll do everything from sourcing that person to integrating them into your business and helping you make sure that you can run remote teams. And Escala, we effectively deploy SEAL Team 6 into your business, which is typically two consultants, and we'll help audit or assess because audit is not a sexy word at all so we'll assess what's happening in your business from a process perspective and we'll effectively build you a better system the right people the right sops training videos documentation and the right technology to enable that to live on 
so that wow. you're not diving deep in day in day out. Great. So that sounds quite sort of uh, corporate and complex. So I guess you've got a, quite a, a corporate background, haven't you? So tell us a little bit about your background and then let's plunge into today's topic. But just before we do that. Yeah. So real quick, I spent 10 years in creative advertising to marketing. So I was the creative side of the suit life, you know, when you talk about corporate world. So I used to work with MasterCard, Sony, Mercedes-Benz, Medtronic, large enterprise clients delivering digital strategy, but always from smaller businesses. I was the 10th employee in Australia. We grew to about 35. I was the 15th in LA, grew to 40. And so the whole position I've had historically is professional client services. But now the approach is how do we actually enable the small to medium enterprise space? How do we help service the people that need it the most rather than waiting until you're the size of Apple to be able to afford effectively a consulting team like Accenture or Deloitte or you know, KPMG, etc. So that's that was my background until I found my way into the Amazon space myself. I helped take a business from two to five million in twelve months that was effectively acquired by Thrasio. And on the back of that, created these two solutions to enable what we did for that Amazon business for all e-commerce businesses globally. And this has just continued to roll and the service delivery model continues to evolve and our ability to help and, you know, you know, impact more lives and effectively have them doing the things that they're best at rather than the things that they're forced to do day in, day out. Yeah, do what they're best at. Yeah, I guess that's the dream, isn't it? So, but just to reflect on what you're just saying, I guess what, what you've had is you've had a, a blend of consulting with big corporate clients, but within a smaller company. So you're very used to being small, part of a small, fast moving company. And then you brought that to a very specific relevance to Amazon sellers. So that's really fantastic. Level of relevance is, is fantastic. So you've done what many dream of, which is to sell a business. Although we, we need to talk about that. What do you do afterwards question, which you flagged up. We're going to put a pin in that and revisit that. But so obviously growth is one thing. But before we get into the even the plan thing, what is it we're trying to achieve? Because everyone talks about growth. They seem to be obsessed with that. Do you think that's actually... What is the word that what is the thing that we're growing? And do you think that's even a valid approach? Yeah, well, I could tell you now on on the end of a very, very immense growth period that I don't think that growth is the term that you should really focus on. It should be either scale or efficiency or really understanding what it is you want to achieve in life. And I literally had someone on another podcast, you know, I, I was asked, he was asked a question like, you know, What's the growth been like? How's it going? I said, well, we had a team of four in January of 2020. We're now at 140, you know, a little over 12 months on. And they said to me, I'm so, so sorry for you. And so while people push growth, they don't really think about the implications of, well, what does it mean? Let's talk about an Amazon business. What does it mean where now I'm doing, you know, a million dollars of revenue versus five million versus $10 million? Well, what does that mean for your capital? How much money do you actually need to continue to reinvest? What is that? What's that actually going to cost you? How many people do you need? Do I need to now become a manager? So I think that it's probably a little short-sighted just to focus on growth. And as someone who's been through this journey now multiple times, I would say that think a little bit more about the end game and the driving desire of what your life should look like and what you want to achieve before obsessing over, I need to grow more revenue. I need to sell more product. I need to sell more services and need to bring on more people really consider what those implications might look like yeah i, I like that the reality check because everyone obsessed with growth but i think the massive danger with an amazon business is that you without even realizing it 
I was going to say you don't just swallow the Kool-Aid, you imbibe the atmosphere that Amazon creates that, that literally millions of third-party sellers engage in, and that is growth at all costs. And what generally means is actually, you know, obsessing about ranking, which means that you're selling more units. That definitely makes Amazon more money, at least it makes some revenue. I mean, <laughs> but as a third-party seller, I think it makes some profit as well. I mean, the, their first-party sales lose them a lot of money. So, But what I'm always concerned with is I see so many Amazon businesses, they get to a million-dollars mark and they go, oh, well, I'm making 5% profit margin. But when I get to $3 million growth, then I'm going to get to pay myself. And, and I'm always very alarmed at that point because I think this obsession with revenue is is just Amazon's game for us. Well, what's your thought about that? I know it's, we haven't got onto the how to do it yet, but I just think it's the goal piece is important. So let, let's talk about that. I mean, is that is revenue even something you should target? Is it something you should target, but with with care? What what are your thoughts about that? Well, I would I would I would come back to you and say well, it depends what your end objective is. If it's to sell your business, then you know in its current state, EBITDA would be the thing that I would be thinking about. Just given that. Amazon businesses typically are looked at as a effectively a new asset class and a commodity that's being sold to aggregators and beyond. But to answer your question about the obsession around revenue, another person I spoke to recently, and he'd be a great guest for you if you haven't had him before, his name's Tyler Jeffcoats, and he is the founder and CEO of Seller. They're a fractional CFO and accountancy for Amazon businesses. And he actually did a study and he said that Amazon businesses, business owners are typically most profitable between zero and 1.5 million. And then when they hit that 1.5 million mark, they start to lose that profitability. If they can get past that four to 5 million mark, that's when they start to reclaim some of that profitability. And that really breaks down to when you are an owner operator and you're a you know, solopreneur, a founder, whatever, and you go through that process, you can get to a certain number of things in any given day. So you can handle your PPC management, your inventory, the supply chain and logistics and the manufacturing. But as soon as it gets without, you know, out of that range of, you know, I can touch it, I can actually handle that much work, that's when you start to really lose those efficiencies. So for anyone who can figure out how to create those economies of scale and those processes and systems to get them above that you know, and I'm just using arbitrary numbers here based on their findings. But if you can get past that level of four to five million, that's when you start to recoup those things. Or if you're really smart, and maybe when we get into the topic about planning for, you know, starting a business, you can avoid all those, you know, those pitfalls altogether if you're very calculated and precise on how you approach it. That's a very interesting set of numbers that, that the, what's his name, Jeff? We ought to let people Ty- know. Tyler Jeff Coates. Tyler Jeffcoats. Okay, well, I'll look him up. I mean, sounds like a good person for people to check out, and we'll, we'll definitely get him on the podcast. By the sound of it, it sounds very relevant. But it's very interesting numbers. But that would tie in with my experience and my clients because you can basically be a solopreneur with no team, not even a, a VA, up to you know, one point five million dollars is about the limit I've seen. Certainly, we've got a couple of clients that doing one's doing about four million dollars a year run rate. The other one's getting closer to ten and. At that rate, you know, they've normally got staff and it, there's a real jump actually because those guys have got sort of legacy businesses, but they've both got a staff of I think 20 and 40 respectively. And actually the 40 staff is with the $4 million business, which worries me, but yeah. uh, you know, they, they've been in business for generations. So I guess they know what they're doing doesn't necessarily mean it's efficient. I mean, that would be a fascinating place to send your, your consultants in to do an audit or, or assessment. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that there's certainly a jump. And, and I think that that's presumably where the money goes, right? It's staff, I, I would imagine. Is, is that really your understanding? 
Yeah, I would say that it probably goes into a whole lot of areas. Yes, staff, I mean, you stop managing your PPC as efficiently as you might have once. And so then you start to lose money. I would say, you know, think about think about everything that happens as you grow the business. So more inventory is required. That means more shipments need to come through. So as you're going through this process, every single thing that was once this very clearly defined, very niche, small circle becomes ever expansive. So I would say that that becomes bleeding across each of them. You know, you maybe you try and you hire your first few people, you bring on the VA, they're not really delivering all of a sudden, you know, you're out of stock. There, there becomes a lot of moving pieces in that puzzle and it just becomes more complex if you don't build out the right processes to, to actually give it the same attention. I'll give you one really simple example is as you have, say, from move from three product SKUs to 35, most people struggle to actually take real control over the entire gamut of every single SKU they have in their arsenal. So the top three products will effectively become the best performers and then everything else gets left behind. And as a result, you're bleeding money into products that aren't yielding you a positive ROI. But here you go. There you go, Michael. You've got your growing revenue, which everyone wants, but you're not really looking at the profitability. And in a lot of cases, you're probably losing money on you know those bottom five, six, seven products. Yeah, and that sadly, I see a lot of that. And it's interesting that I've always thought that the answer is to consider chopping them out. But maybe the answer is what you're implying is just work on the, the, the processes and the efficiency. And yeah, some products won't make money and you've got to look at that. But it's interesting that, that yeah, there are certain points that show up quite repeatedly. And I think the patterns are quite consistent. It's odd, isn't it? You're saying that number, the CFO guy, Jeff um, Tyler, Tyler, Jeff Coates, and I see the same thing. So there's a consistency about it. So look, I think we clarified that just growing revenue isn't in the aim that we've got some, some blocks to overcome. I guess is planning the answer to this. I know entrepreneurs are, are not big fans of planning and to some extent, you know, the just do it Nike kind of slogan. Hopefully they're not listening to this and come after me for IP infringement here. But, <laughs> you know, that, that idea is very, very popular. It's almost like a, a sort of quasi-religious belief. Why is well, that you wrong? Mean, you mean hustle harder? Hustle harder. Yeah. Why is the hustle thing so, you know, not enough? I mean, look, I'm just talking about my personal experience here. And for me, I find it somewhat of a frustrating term because, you know, the great equalizer in life is that we all have 168 hours in the day. So every time someone turns around and says you're not working hard enough, well, I would argue that there's only so many hours. And if you, you know, you, t you tell me one entrepreneur who came to you and said, right, my objective was to start this business and work 225 hours a week every week you know whatever you know that that's not that's not the goal i would imagine of most entrepreneurs unless they are clinically you know labeled a, a workaholic here so i would say that when you have effective planning and when you actually understand what it is you set to deliver on that's when you can start to make good decisions on how best to invest your time so that you can split it up you know accordingly i would even take it further and saying that you know, your your reference point of, you know, you're seeing a lot of the same thing. Tyler Jeffcoats makes the same notes is that maybe you should cut some of your products, but maybe you should just realize that with that time allocation, if you were to allocate the same amount of time to, you know, whoever's writing your copy and your image design and your listing review and your PPC, and you actually did, you know, uh, clear planning on how much time and resource and allocation is needed, then you'd be more inclined to hire the right people for the right tasks and scale effectively rather than, 
you know, becoming almost, I would say, firstly being burnt out, but also, you know, resenting the thing that you once loved so much. Yeah, that's excellently put. Resenting the thing you once loved so much is that's one of the saddest outcomes. I think that we have this weird relationship to the business, especially with Amazon, because we kind of don't own the business in in some ways. The most important elements of it, you know, traffic conversion, you know, customer trust, customer relationship, all those things that I'd want really for a business with an Amazon-based business, and even even the language is conflicted and weird, and you can't find good language. That's the hint that it, you're never going to find it because it's not really your business. And that that relationship to Amazon is a whole different therapized need of therapy, right? But you're absolutely right that that's a really sad outcome. And as you say, nobody comes into the business say I work X hours. But yeah, if you're not a workaholic, that's a weird thing to say. If you are a workaholic, you need help. And yet yeah. there seems to be just as you know. I don't know, being an alcoholic was once and being a, uh, addicted to cigarettes was once almost kind of supported by the culture, like Marlboro Man, all the guys smoking in the movies, the 30s, 40s, 50s, people drinking all over the place. You know, I, I would argue some, you know, porn addiction has become almost normalized, but that's a whole different thing. But I mean, also workaholism seems to become almost normalized in a specific subset. And, and you make a very good point that that's exceptionally, not only really unhealthy, but it is not why you entered the the pool in the first place is it so so how do we do we we banged the nail on the head enough of people are probably going ow ow yes i i get it i'm experiencing that so how do we overcome this how, how do we create the the planning without sort of drowning in yes another back-breaking task involving spreadsheets as one of my clients put it recently you know he's doing millions a year he said yeah I, basically my life is email and spreadsheets so how do we get out of sight of that that detail and, and get a bigger picture yeah, well, like I was telling you before we jumped on, one of the things that I did when I was looking to build Multiply Me as a business outside of that Amazon business that I that I walked into, so that it was already established, is I built something called a business model canvas. And a business model canvas is effectively a one-page business plan. The goal is very simple. It's broken up into, I believe, about seven sections. And I'll see if I can remember them all. But effectively what you're looking to do is you're looking to understand, well, how is my business going to run? So, you know, what are the key partners that I need to have in this business? What is the cost structures that drive it? You know, what what are the revenue streams? How am I going to generate money? Three key areas inside of it. What resources do I need? What are the activities that I need to perform? You know, I think most importantly, before you even get into any of these things around where's the revenue coming from, what are the cost structures is, what is my value proposition? So what am I bringing to market that I uniquely am delivering that my perceived customers, which customer relationships is another one, is are going to add value to their lives. So for me, I'm also a huge believer in that businesses shouldn't exist to sell products. They should exist to create value. And so I think from a, from a starting point, rather than just jumping into it and starting an Amazon business and figuring it out, like I'll give you one hot tip. Make sure that you're doing accrual versus cash-based accounting. That's a mistake that I would say 90% of Amazon businesses who just jump into it will make. But back to business model canvas, you know, understanding the right channels and the customer segment. So those are, I think, each of the topics here, to be totally honest, I'm reading off a uh, business model canvas in front of me so I can say it. But, you know, those are some key things that you really need to look at is, is why am I creating this business who is, who is this person or these people? Who are the customers that are going to want to buy into it? And, you know, where's the profitability? Forget the long-winded Excel spreadsheets, which 
in my advice, would come next because you really have to understand at the end of the day. I wish that everything I was doing was not for profit and I was working at a NGO and, you know, I think ultimately that'll become my my outcome in life. But for right now, unfortunately, we live in a capitalistic world and these are all things that you should probably consider when you start a business. Excellent. Sp- spoken like a, a man in Israel in the sense that Tel Aviv, it's funny that I know so it's slightly irrelevant, but not really to the value, the, the values that we hold. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but since you referenced it, I think there's often a conflict between this kind of, and I think that's part of the hassle culture. It's a kind of, the objective is money, which is never enough. I think Freud, what everyone needs is love and work. He didn't say sex and money. I think the internet's trying to be reductionist and, and make sure it's all about sex and money. So to your point, we have to have something we care about. And I guess in Israel, they have that, that tradition. I know a couple where the guy's literally got a company going public, so he'd be worth tens of millions of pounds soon. And uh, the wife was grew up in a kibbutz, which is very kind of hippie in sixties, right? So that is not, it's not the Tel Aviv is the perfect location on the planet to sort of try and combine those two ideas right the high tech yeah. startup thing and, and also the heart thing but slight slight digression but what i would say is just reflecting what you're just saying I, I guess what you're saying is the opposite offers it to the just do it then so you're actually suggesting that people think before they leap which is almost uh, heretical uh, are you even allowed crazy. to say that the, the guys <laughs> would be crunching through the ceiling when you go back to la next but joking apart i, I think this is um from what I see, yes, I see people that hesitate and overthink before they start. And those aren't the people we're addressing. But the people who are in it and, and struggling and sweating and, and experiencing all the things you're saying, working in you know, a crazy hour weeks. So I like your 200 hour week, by the way. That's like the opposite to the four hour work week. Haven't really got any idea from the conceptual level of why the business exists and what it is they're even doing. They're just doing the do, as one of my clients puts it. And, and not coincidentally, very, very little profit. So... Uh, so let's let's work through this uh, business model canvas by the way the fact that you're working off something a simple thing in front of you and that's how you remember it is an excellent idea to have the <laughs> yeah. thing you know so we are going to give people a version of this aren't we so if, if you go to just while, while i think of it we'll mention it again at the end amazingfba.com forward slash multiply m-u-l-t-i-p-l-y although if you can't spell multiply there might be an issue here anyway but so we will give you a version of this business model canvas tool so let's talk through which is the the most important thing out of all the things you mentioned which is the starting point would you say well, do you know what? Before I jump into that, you, you actually you actually touch on, I would say, an important book and an important person in Tim Ferriss and the Four Hour Work Week. And one of the things that he did, and you know, when when you talk about well, what's my value proposition, which I think is probably the most important thing about uh, Business Model Canvas, but he made a decision. I read this about him where. He understood for him to go to an Ivy League school and to make all these relationships and to do all the things that would enable him to create businesses, he actually said, well, you know what, that's going to cost me $100,000 or $200,000 to enroll and to to pay for board and all these things. What if I invested that money differently because his objective was to learn? So he actually ended up buying into, uh, I don't know how many businesses it ended up being, but somewhere in the vicinity of 50 to 100 businesses, if I'm not mistaken. One of them, I think, was even Uber, where he bought enough, he put enough money into each of these businesses, small small investments. I think he was saying like everything was under $30,000, most were under $5,000, and he would have enough seats to sit on the board and learn and give advice and have value even without having it at that point. So, you know, when you're starting a business, and Tim Ferriss is a great example of really thinking about what's my desired outcome, what I want to achieve in this business. Is it just to make money? Then 
who really gives a shit what it is. Look at the profit margins, look at the customer base, understand what you can sell and, and off you go. But if it's something more, if it's something that is, you know, an area where you want this to live uh, for a long period of time, then, you know, you probably want to look a little deeper than just, you know, like you said, sex and sex and money. Yeah, love and work, right? I mean, the thing is that a lot of people who have zero need to work financially ever again, including Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, and also some some people that I know personally and and people like Seth Godin, whatever, they're still working because that's part of what defines us, although the workaholic defines themselves perhaps only by work, but it is part of what we do. It's not just, you know, make passive income, which is a total and utter myth anyway, isn't it? I mean, let's, let's just knock that one out. And also... Um, sitting on a beach in Thailand. I mean, that's a kind of slightly meaningless knife. I mean, it might work for some people, but I can swear by everything that's holy that it will not work for the sort of person who's, who's capable of creating business. As Tim Ferriss put it memorably in the four hour work week, if you're the sort of person that's capable of working hard enough to retire, um, after a week of retirement, you'd be so bored, you'd be sticking bicycle spokes in your eyes, which is a very visceral image. I remember that piece of language. But to your point, people take an awful lot of, of the wrong things from, from Tim Ferriss. And I think the four-hour work week title is the least good thing he ever produced. And that he probably regretted it ever since. And that's because he, he got it by Google advertising, which is a great way to... It's direct response thinking, right? So he got a title that would give a good response. But unfortunately, a title of a book's a branding decision, and that should not be driven by direct response. I'm sure he's totally aware of that. And that and regretted it since but people throw the baby out with the bathwater there sometimes so i i really like that that little story about him that's that's worth bearing in mind so look let's get into the the business model canvas details itself so we you, the first thing you said is value proposition is that right so tell us more about that what does it so, mean so so so, so so you know what i think just using multiply me and i could even potentially pull this uh up and i'd be happy to even share the, the, you know, assuming there's nothing sensitive in there, but I can't imagine there would be. I'd be happy to share the Multiply Me's original business model canvas. When sure. I looked at, so when I looked at the Multiply Me business, I, I effectively had built this internally inside of an Amazon business and understood the impact. You know, we were able to scale extremely quickly, and scale is we weren't over-indexing on our investment and simply throwing money at it. We were leveraging talent that costs a fraction of the price of locally sourced or in the US or UK or Australia for that matter, we found high quality talent. We built a system that enabled us to continue to recruit, you know, high level talent into the business. So I realized was that there was a huge gap in the market. And so the first position was, well, what is the value proposition? What, how can we impact people's lives so that they can live like we did an opportunity where we got to work on the business? And I would say, what does working on the business mean for the typical Amazon seller? That's the things like effectively new product creation. How do I find new products, things that I'm excited about? You know, how do I do that next trip to Canton Fair? How do I effectively not worry about the financials because I've placed a financial controller or CFO in the business? So when you're going through this starting point, understanding what it is as value, what's the value that you're creating? That's the first and foremost important thing. And then when you start to, to pair it back, well, then you have to understand, well, what resources do I actually need to then bring this to market? And what are the activities that I need to achieve with those resources that will enable me to bring that value proposition to market? So that's that, that would be the starting point. And then, you know, as you start to move out, and I can't remember off the top of my head exactly, I know the way in which they built the quadrants inside of the business model canvas. Some are related to the financials versus some operation. I'm, I'm not remembering off the top of my head here, but 
from there, once you understand what it is as a product or a service that you're delivering and you understand who's involved and what resources you need, that's when you can start to look into, well, what does my audience look like? relationships do I have to have with my customers and what are the potential segments that I could feed into? Am I going to reach them? So what are the key channel partners? So if I want to break this down into an Amazon business, you know, I have to understand specific niche that I'm going after. How big are the potential keywords? You know, how far, how far are we actually looking to push this product? What's the level of competition that exists? And then that's when you also start to go into the less sexy stuff and that's the what are the cost structures and, and where are these revenue streams actually coming from. So at a high level, that's what it looks like. Hey folks, thank you very much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast. Today we have been talking with Yoni Kuzminski of Multiply Me. Interesting to think about the bigger picture here and uh, one of the classic things that I think is emerging from this is really... The idea that just do it, as people often say, the kind of Nike type slogan or take action is not uh, enough. <laughs> the idea of just taking action without planning is not something that would fly with today's Gessioni. And actually somebody who's just built a business from four employees to 104 or something ridiculous in a year goes to show that this is not just a man who talks about stuff, but is a real entrepreneur, a real creator of businesses or co-creator. But really reviewing the idea of, first of all, should we just do it or could we actually plan? I, I would suggest maybe both are possible. And I think that's a good counterbalance to the just do it mantra that's out there, the kind of hustle culture, which I think can just lead to a lot of misery. I mean, yes, if you're going to just talk about a business and never do it, then, of course, then that isn't going to serve anybody. But for the people that we're aiming to talk to on this podcast would be the established sellers you already got a business, you're already taking action. So maybe standing back and thinking about why you're doing things and what you're doing is, is the way to go. The question of is growth even good, but scale or efficiency is better? And what, is, <laughs> what does it all mean around revenue? Why profit goes down and, and how to deal with that and uh, how to build a better plan in a simple way. The business model canvas being the great vehicle. These are all great topics, I think, from today. The uh, working on the business, not in the business is something people often talk about, but they... There, I think people sometimes work on the idea of work and instead of thinking <laughs> and then executing, but executing on something that's been thought through really and tracking and measuring well as well. So yeah, lots of interesting things I think that, that came out of today. I would really encourage you to check out the business model template and multiply me as well as is a good set of people to talk to. They have some great free tools. If you go to amazingfba.com forward slash multiply, M-U-L-T-I-P-L-Y, then uh, they have two sets of tools that I think are really useful. One is a two-year financial planning template, which I personally have used with clients recently. Very, very helpful. Looking ahead financially enables you to figure out things in advance that are going to go wrong rather than just the school of hard knocks. And the second thing is that... Um, they you know are people that you might want to talk to a cat the director of client engagement and can walk you through the sort of processes that they could apply to your business and then basically bring the sort of mckenzie's mckinsey style or ernst and young style consulting to the small e-commerce business and for the right business that could be a very valuable process but even if you're not sure if that would be over the top for you it's worth talking to um Yoni and his team to see if you can gain some insights from them, if nothing else. So hopefully this has been thought provoking and a good counterbalance to the hustle counter out there. 
And as ever, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe. Also, we're halfway through the discussion. So if you are enjoying that, stay tuned and listen to more of Yoni's wisdom in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast. I really hope you found the show helpful. I mentioned the London-based masterminds we've been running since September 2017. Members of the 10K Collective Mastermind make a minimum of about £480,000 a year, well over €600,000 or dollars. To find out more about that mastermind, go to amazingfba.com forward slash 10K, C, K for kilo, C for Charlie. Million pound mastermind members make a minimum of 1.2 million pounds a year. That's about 1.5 million US dollars or euros. To find out more about that mastermind, go to amazingfba.com forward slash MPM. That's M for mother, P for Peter, M for mother. Thanks for listening.